The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing. And the way that I'm trying to help you uh, build your business, start or grow your own real estate investing business this week, is through an open question and answer day, which we do on the first Wednesdays of most months of the year. Uh, however, the show does not work unless you have questions and are brave enough to ask them. So uh, how do you do that? Well, if you want to make sure that you get gotten to, you call us here in the studio at 877-772-9658. Again, that toll-free number is 877 877- Seven seven two nine six five eight. Alternatively, you can send it via email. The email address is askvina at gmail.com. That's A-S-K-V like in Victor, E-N-A at gmail.com. And while we are waiting for the first questions to come in so that we can actually kick the real show off, just a note for those of you who are within a couple hours drive of Cincinnati. I mean, maybe even four hours drive. We've got folks coming from as far away as Nashville to the Cincinnati RIA in-person meeting tomorrow night. Why are people coming so far to come to a real estate association meeting the answer is because it is Cincinnati RIA's annual real estate investing expo. Vendors with everything from investor-friendly loans to uh, insurance products for real estate investors to stuff that makes your rentals not smell bad anymore to uh, suppliers, you know, professionals, attorneys, all of those sorts of folks that you need to build your team with. Also, there will be about 200 investors uh, there to network with. So when you've gone around and met all the trade show vendors and you are ready to sit down and talk some real estate and build some relationships, there will be food and places for you to do that. And of course, it do- also doesn't hurt that it's free. And that there is food there until it runs out. And there are like thousands of dollars in door prizes that are given away throughout the night. So um, the one thing is we do need to know that you're coming. And also you need to know where it is. And I didn't tell you. So you can do both of those things. Tell us you're coming. Get the... uh, 
location and the schedule at CincinnatiRIA.com. That is, again, CincinnatiREIA.com. Oh, and I completely forgot to mention the mini seminars. There's little real estate TED Talks throughout the evening, 20 minutes of hearing what to do if you have an insurance claim and how to build uh, how to build relationships with other investors so that you can get everything you need from them and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So again, CincinnatiRIA.com. Uh, one other quick thing that I just, I feel, I feel like I have been remiss in my duties by not mentioning, uh, on May the 17th, which is a Wednesday, before you look it up on your calendar and go, hey, wait, she said the wrong date. That's a Wednesday. Nope, it's a Wednesday. In Columbus, Pete Fortunato, uh, super real estate genius, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, is doing a one day event for, uh, the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. It's about how to win financial friends and influence allies. Basically, he's going to tell you how he's done pretty much all the deals he's ever done without any sort of institution, institutional money, you know, all of that sort of thing. And he's just built lots of relationships and those relationships turn into deals and money and knowledge and advice and work and all kinds of things that he needs. And that's what we all need. So the amazing news is that that event is only $197 to spend a day with Pete Fortunato uh, until the seats run out. The seats are about 75% gone at this point. So really worth, you know, taking a day off work if you, if that's what you have to do, Uh, getting yourself to Columbus, if that's what you have to do. And then uh, spending a day with Pete you can get more information about that at oria.com. That's O-R-E-I-A.com. Uh, there's also information there about the hotel room block. I plan to go up on Tuesday to hang out with people in the evening and then stay Wednesday night rather than drive myself home because it is followed by a legislative cocktail party across the street at the uh, uh, state house uh, where we're just going to make a really big showing and say, hey, look. Ohio legislators, there are a lot of us. And maybe you should stop uh, trying to um, trying to pass laws that are going to hurt housing without asking us how they're going to hurt housing. So again, Pete Fortunato, May 17th, that is at O-R-E-I-A dot com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. It's question and answer day. Which means, uh, I'm sorry, there is no show without you guys. Um, I'm not going to sit here and ask myself questions. I mean, I, I do ask myself questions all the time. But they're not usually about real estate. You know, they're about life stuff. Like, why is it that on the very days on in which you are like most busy and most stressed, you also have to uh, look least busy and least stressed? You know, trade show week. This is trade show week. Like we had a trade show at Kori last night. Got a trade show at Cincinnati Ria tomorrow night. There's a lot of moving pieces to those. There's a lot of like things to print out and create. And then there's the giving of the talks and all that kind of stuff. And then I have to show up and look all pretty and not tired. That's not a valid question for real life real estate though. So send your valid question to askvina at gmail.com. 
or to uh, just call it in at 877-772-9658. So I have had some questions gather up here in the inbox since then. Uh, Here is one from David, who's in California. He says, in your experience, why would a seller sell and take payments for years on end versus just rent the property out? And then there's a second question built in there that I'll, I'll, I won't read the whole thing at once because I don't want to confuse everybody. Um, so David, my answer to that question is most sellers, particularly those who are like selling just a home that they used to live in or something, um, are rightly terrified by the idea of renting a house out. I mean, that might, that might seem to you like, well, Vina is only going to give me a thousand dollars a month. And if I rented it to a tenant, I could get $1,600 a month. So the choice is obvious. I will rent it to a tenant and get $1,600 a month. Uh, but if you're, if you're not somebody who's had that training and understand, even understands what all the pieces are to renting a property out, it's actually a really bad idea for you to rent a property out. Because you're not going to do a good job of screening your applicants. Um, scam artist applicants can smell people like that, and that's who they go for. And they write up a really convincing, convincing application. And they, by the way, go to the internet and download fake W2s. That's a that's a thing now. You can you can do you can get fake pay stubs. You can get fake. Um, uh, my animal is a is a uh, service animal things you can you can make anything you want on the internet for 10 bucks so they're going to move somebody in who actually can't afford the payments who maybe has like a terrible history of trashing rental houses and then they are going to not be able to collect the rent and then they're not going to know the legal process for how to properly notify this resident that it's time for them to move out. And then they're not going to know how to actually file the eviction. It's it's truly a bad idea for them to do that. Now, if they were willing to get the training and or, or get a property manager, right, that would be another thing. But that's going to, of course, knock 10% off of what they make, uh, then they would probably be able to do it and but I would argue that they probably won't make more money in that fake scenario that I just made up where I'm going to give them a thousand dollars a month or they can get 1600 a month for a tenant because if I'm giving them a thousand dollars a month I'm also paying for the taxes the insurance the maintenance I'm paying the payments even when the property is vacant I'm uh, paying for the roof when it goes bad I'm paying for any property management so it, 1600 sounds like it's a lot more than a thousand, but by the time you add in all the expenses that they would be paying instead of me paying, uh, it's probably not actually a big difference. So the reason sellers do it is because they would rather take the money from an investor who knows what they're doing and will take care of all of the stuff they're afraid to take care of. Uh, and that's that's often the wiser decision for them. The second part of the question is, how do you convince the seller to do this with zero or little money down on a nice property? Um, the answer is you don't always, quote, convince them. Sometimes they need that money to go do their next thing and they just can't 
let it go without that. Sometimes they, they or one of their advisors says, oh, if they don't have any skin in the game, then you shouldn't do the deal, right? But the reality is most of the time, even a, a quote, really nice house uh, is not, it's not ready to move into if they just moved out of it. It almost always needs like paint and flooring and little things here and there. So what I often say when they say, if they say, how much money are you putting down? I say, well, my money down is going to be in the form of about $5,000 worth of paint and flooring. I assume you want me to do the paint and flooring, right? And sometimes they say, well, yeah, but I also need $10,000 to pay off a bill or move or whatever. Then if the property will handle it, we find a way to put $10,000 down. So appreciate your question, David, let's go to Jazz on line one in Columbus. Hey, Jazz. Hello, Vina. How are you? I am awesome. How are you? I would say I'm blessed and highly favored one day at a time. (laughs) Yes, you are. So what can I, what question can I answer for you? Well, I need your wisdom uh, on this because uh, I'm trying to play real life Monopoly and trying to turn my greenhouse into a red hotel (laughs) but i'm trying to figure out is it smarter especially in this days and time with the market being the way it is maybe to sell a property and do a 1031 exchange into uh, the red hotel or is it more feasible just to refinance uh, and pull some cash out and then use the money that way um, to try to acquire the red hotel and maybe partner with somebody well, the the good thing about the two things you said is that they they remove a big barrier, which is in either case, you don't pay any taxes on the money that you're getting to buy the Red Hotel. Because that's when, when, when you look at like, should I just sell this house and go buy this apartment building? The answer, especially with the appreciation we've had in the last few years, is... Probably not, because if I if I sell a house that I bought for a hundred seven years ago, but I can sell it for two hundred, so that'll be good because I'll have two hundred thousand to go buy my next thing. The answer is no, you won't. After the after the tax people get to you, <laughs> you'll have one hundred seventy, one hundred sixty, something like that, and you'd rather have two hundred because you can buy. You can buy a red Sheraton instead of a red Budgetel if you have more money, right? So either one of the two things that you said are good ways to get money out of a property without like lowering the value of the money you got because it's, it's taxable. The thing about doing the exchange is in my, in my painful recent experience, you should really have the property that you want to buy under contract or at least under an option before you go to sell the property that you want to sell. Mm. Because you, 1031 exchanges have all those limitations on them. You know, you've got to, in 45 days, you have to have identified a couple of properties and then you've got 180 days to close them. And I had a situation actually up until today, I had a situation where I had identified a couple of properties um, after after I sold the one I sold, and one of them just completely fell through. It just it just wasn't going to happen. The other one, 
because of some complications on the on the side of the cellar, dragged on for six months. Today was the 180th day, and today I was able to close the purchase on it. That was a nail-biter. You know, because if you start an exchange and then you can't finish it, then it's like you never did it in the first place and you have to pay the taxes. And you also paid $700 to the exchange intermediary to hold your money all that time. So if you already know what you want to buy, go put an option on it or go put it, put a purchase contract on it that's, you know, got a, got a long, you know, I'm not going to close for 90 days because I got to sell this other property first and be pretty sure that you can sell the other property. But that, that, that's, that's a perfectly good option. The refinance and then use that money to buy the property is another really good one that doesn't have that, like, you don't get handcuffed in by those, you got to find it in 45 days and close it in 180 days thing. Of course, what's making you nervous about the refi is interest rates have gone up so much. Mm-hmm. So you have to look at... If I borrow this money against this other property, does it still cash flow well? And is it going to continue to cash flow well even if rents drop by 10 or 20%? Because I, I completely expect rents to drop by 10% in the next 12 months. If it, if it gets super bad, they might drop by 30%. So you kind of want to do like a stress test with that other property and say, all right, so here's what I'm going to be paying per month now. What's my worst case scenario and does it still cash flow under that worst case scenario? And I think you'll probably find it does if you've owned it for a while. The advantage to that refinance and then use that money to buy the next property is you still have both properties. So I think that the deciding factor, like if I was looking at these two options, is do I like the property I'm considering selling? Because if I like the property I'm considering selling, I should probably keep it. I should probably probably refinance it and keep it. But you're just going to have to get out a, a spreadsheet and say, all right, so like, what what rate am I likely to get? What does that make my payment? What am I going to borrow? What does that make my payment? And then you said something about uh, refinancing it and then bringing in a partner. For- for the yeah, metaphor- metaphorical hotel, so you're you're afraid that if you refi, you won't have enough money to do what you want to do with the other property. No, it's just spreading out the risk. Um, I don't know. It's, it, I've always learned from you that collaboration is often way better than confrontation. Yes, let's so let's not call it spreading the risk. Let's call it okay. spreading the benefits. There we go. Because if you if you've got a good deal, you know perfectly well there's fifty members of Kori who would actually be mad at you if you didn't offer them a piece of it. <laughs> like they want a piece of it, right? Yes, man. So so yeah, I mean if wealth building's gonna be a team sport, we wanna we wanna help out our fellow team members by giving them opportunities to make uh, not risky. I mean, every real estate investment has risk. Let's not be silly. Of course, every real estate investment has risk, but we want to we want to um, help them build their own wealth and portfolios. And yeah, it happens to help us by getting us all the cash we need to do the bigger deal. Then that's good too. 
So yes, okay. be collaborative because it helps you build financial friends and, uh, there's always, there's always the next deal, right? So if you do a successful deal with somebody, then they want to do more deals with you. And then that goes on for decades and decades and decades. Yeah. Very true. Yep. And that's a good thing. So mm. I, I hope I helped you at least kind of have a basis on which to make this decision. Well, yeah, you've, uh, from the way it sounded, uh, with the, 1031 exchange it sounds to me it's better just to keep the property and hopefully uh if you refinance it you refinance it where it still cash flows yeah yeah and 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 again only if you only if you like the property because if you don't like the property by all means sell it in 1031 Mm. don't keep properties you don't like very wise (laughs) okay all right jess thank you for your phone call We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk to Sandy from Cincinnati and also take your questions either at 877-772-9658 or via email, askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. And today is question and answer week. And I'm sorry I'm laughing. It was just Mike, Mike saying, there's a car on fire. That's not good. good. (laughs) It's not definitely not good. You just, you know, on, on regular commercial radio, you don't get that kind of color. They would say that's bad. In the, in the traffic. Yeah. In the traffic report. Um, okay. So let's go to line two and talk to Sandy here in Cincinnati. Sandy, welcome to real life real estate. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. What can I do for you today? I am brand new, as in never done a deal before. Mm-hmm. So where do I begin to get leads? Um, so I'm going to ask you a question back, Sandy. Uh, okay. How much do you know about how to figure out the value of a property? And how to figure out what a property needs in work and how much that's going to cost. I know a little bit about the value of a property. I am a realtor. Mm-hmm. But to do the estimate of the cost, I know a little. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the reason I the reason I asked, oh, and, and let me ask you another okay. question. Do you know if, if, if I handed you a bucket full of leads right now? and there were some deals in there, what would you do with those deals? I would look to see where they located. I would look to see if they had any mortgage debt or anything. I don't know. (laughs) I first would look to see where they're located. That would be my... The only thing I would do. Sandy, it's okay. Listen, there are easily a thousand listeners right now going, I can't believe she was brave enough to call and ask that. I wish I had called and asked that. You're, you're doing good here. Trust me. Okay. 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 Um, what, what, what would you, what would you want to do with them once you bought them? Would you wholesale them or fix and flip them or hold them? What would you do? I would want to start wholesaling just to get good at that okay so what do you really want to do like once you like what's what's the end goal here for sandy 
20, 20 years from now, Sandy's got the perfect life and real estate is part of it. And how, why is it perfect? You have a ton of cash. My you end have goal, to... Go ahead. My end goal would be to own at least some rental properties so that that could generate wealth for my children and my grandchildren. Mm-hmm. And you while you're alive. Let's not let's not jump yeah. straight to the children and grandchildren. Let's let Sandy have a nice life first, and then the kids can have one, and then the grandkids can have one. Um, okay, so first first thing I'm going to say is you might want to reconsider whether you want to start out wholesaling, because unless there is some personal thing in the way where you just like can't own a rental for right now there is no real estate thing in the way you can buy rentals without cash you can buy rentals without credit um you can have other people manage them if you have made the right deal and a a lot of new investors say exactly what you just said i'm going to start wholesaling because that seems like the, the the entry point that seems like the right entry point but usually when I say, well, why are you wholesaling if what you want is to buy rentals? They either say, well, I got to build up some cash for down payments. Actually not true. Or they say, well, I want the experience of going into properties and evaluating them and all that stuff. Well, I mean, you're going to get exactly the same experience buying rentals. So something for you to think about is... Do I really want to go through the process of learning about a strategy and doing a strategy that isn't isn't getting me closer to my end goal in any meaningful way? Because I can do my end goal without having the things that that provides. So that's that's something for you to think about. The second thing I would say is no matter what you decide to do with these properties, you need to either get really good at coming up with values, doing the little inspections, um, putting some numbers to those repairs and whatnot before you go out and start making offers. And that's why you want leads, right? Because you want to make offers? That's correct. So, so either you need to get good at that or you need to get some people around you who are good at it and who are willing to uh, help help you out with it as stuff comes up that you need to evaluate. Um, are you a Cincinnati REA member? No. Well, don't. You know, not everybody in the world is. <laughs> you don't have to. <laughs> you don't have to like be embarrassed about it or whatever. Um, however, you should become one because okay. <laughs> because well that I mean that those are those are your people right. Uh, those are the people who okay. already know how to do that, and you'd be amazed at how willing folks are to. You, you need somebody to run out and look at a property with you tomorrow at five o'clock because it's your first property you've ever looked at, and you're like, I have no idea what I'm looking at. And people will go with you and help you do that. And especially if you're if you're able to say, uh, Hey, if I get it under contract and I turn it into a rental, I'll, I'll I'll give you some money or I'll give you a, a tiny piece of the deal or something like that, right? Because you just you, you just don't even know what to offer until you're good at figuring out the after repaired value. You're good at figuring out the what what needs to be done and what that's going to cost. 
um, you know where you're going to get that money, which is, you know, I said you could do it with no money. What I should have said was you can do it without your money. You can do it with other people's money, right? Okay. Um, or if you do end up wholesaling, obviously your buyer is going to do it with their money. But 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 you can't put in the offer until you know those things because you don't know what the offer is. So I would suggest okay. that you, you know, come to the trade show tomorrow night. You'll meet a bunch of people. You'll see how friendly they are. You'll join up. <laughs> you'll start coming start coming to the online meetings the wholesaler meeting the rental property meeting all of those things you'll you'll learn an awful lot really fast and then you will sort of feel like okay so if i got some leads i would if if i didn't know exactly what to do them with them i have a ton of people who know what to do with them so i'm good okay so having said Bye. that i will in fact answer your question <laughs> that you asked in the first <laughs> place which is how I, well, I mean, I, you know, I like to be complete here. Yes, you gave me so much more than what I even asked for. Thank you. Well, I, I sometimes, you. I sometimes annoy people because I, they ask me a very simple, straightforward question. And I basically say, well, let me tell you what question you should have asked me. And then I answer that question <laughs> instead. But I always do like to wrap it up by, by saying how, how do you actually do this? So there are a lot of ways to get leads. And to some extent, you're going to pick that. You're going to pick which way or ways to use based on what am I trying to get? Am I trying to get rentals or am I trying to get wholesale deals? Because you're probably looking, oh. you're probably looking at at different kinds of sellers in different situations in different areas. Like my favorite way to buy a rental is um, find a somebody who already owns a rental and they've owned it for many years. And they are, they're sick of it or they want to move to Florida or they can't take care of it anymore or, you know, whatever, whatever reason they don't want the rental anymore. Right. And I like to buy it from them, but instead of paying them all cash, I just make them payments. And because those are the people who are most open to payments because they're like, I've been taking payments on this thing for 20 years. I'm very comfortable taking payments on it. And if you're going to take care of all the maintenance and tenants and problems, then yeah, I'll take payments from you. That's my favorite way to buy rentals. So if that's mm. if that's what I'm looking for, I'm obviously going to be looking for leads that are from people who have owned rentals for a long time, right? Correct. That's actually a list that you can buy. You can you can just you just pay a company a hundred bucks and they'll send you every rental owner in the whole county who's owned a single family home for more than whatever whatever number of years you tell them 10 years 15 years 20 years whatever and then my favorite way of reaching out to them is with a direct mail campaign so i might send them a postcard saying hey if you're sick of your rental give me a call we'll figure out how you can get rid of the problems and then i'll send them a letter that says kind of the same thing and then I'll send them another postcard and you know do this at like one month intervals and then they call me and okay. we talk about it and sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't work out that's just part of the game you deal with a lot of you deal with a lot of people who are like yes I will sell for full price and all cash and you will say well that didn't work for me but I'm also a realtor so I could list your property for full price and all cash if that's what you wanted so you actually have two potential things that you could do with a lead, right? You could list it or you could buy it. 
you need to talk to your broker though about the rules about buying one of your own listings and disclosing and all of that sort of stuff. Um, so, okay. you know, you can buy a list. You can also just drive for dollars. I like to I like to get in my car every once in a while and just kind of go into rental neighborhoods and look for properties that either look like they're vacant or look like they really should be vacant. Like nobody should be living in that property. It looks like somebody is, but nobody should be living there. There's a broken window and the porch is falling apart. And um, I write down the address and go look in the tax records and find out who owns it and send them a piece of mail. Now, other people, if, if I had other people sitting here in the studio with me, they might say, well, I don't like doing mail. I like just sending sending that list through a skip tracing service, getting those people's phone numbers and just calling them up directly. So why do I do mail and other people call people directly? I'm an introvert. I like to I like to send people I like to send people mail and 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 the, if they want me they can call me right. <laughs> um, uh, other people are extroverts they love talking on the phone that's their favorite thing to do is talk to strangers. Yeah, you know, that that's not me though. So I'm not gonna do that. So you're gonna you're gonna pick your you're gonna pick your lead strategy by how you pick your exit strategy. Um, because if if all you want to do is wholesale houses, then you're looking for you're looking for Houses that need a lot of work, because those are the ones that you can get at wholesale type prices, and you can take some educated guesses about what would what situation the owner was in would cause them to have a house that needed a lot of work, and you might say, well, you know, if they were in foreclosure, they probably couldn't do any work for their house, so I will go after foreclosures. Um, if it's a probate house, it was probably owned by somebody who was older, and maybe they didn't update the house a lot, and in the long time that they lived in it so i'm going to contact their heirs and see if their heirs want to sell the house so th there's lots of different ways to do it there's lots of different levels at which you could do it i know people who send out like send out like 100 postcards a month and that's it i know people who send out 10,000 postcards letters every month i know people who um call you know, five sellers a day on average and people who have uh, virtual assistants who call a thousand sellers a month. So you got to figure out what your comfort level is there. But the very first thing is figure out what you what you really want to do with those houses. If you say, you know, really, honestly, I'd like to skip the wholesaling stage. You can learn how to do that at Cincinnati Rhea. Wow. I will join. Thank you. Okay. Thank all right. You. Well, I will see you tomorrow night. Come introduce yourself to me, okay? Okay. I will. Thank you. All right. I'll see you then. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. It's question and answer week. Uh, if you have a question, you can call it in at 877-772-9658, or you can uh, send us an email. It's askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. It's question and answer week. So taking questions both via, via phone at 877-772-9658 or via email, askvina at gmail.com. So I uh, got a question here from somebody who tried to hide their identity, but the problem is, has you always write your emails in Comic Sans? So I always know it's you. <laughs> this is Hez, who is way out on the West Coast. He says, uh, things I am unclear about. Loan constant. 
I hear the words, but I can't make sense of it. I'm not sure what it is or what its significance is. So has I, I, that, that first time I heard that term, um, and, and the way I heard it was, you that, that you shouldn't make that deal. The loan constant is too high. And I was like, what is a loan constant? And why is it too high? I'm getting a 0% interest rate loan. How is anything about that too high? And his, uh, his answer just confused me. So um, a loan constant, think of it as another way of evaluating which way you should go with the financing. Because what we usually look at when we're, when we're thinking about getting a loan or getting a new loan, the things that we focus on tend to be the loan rate, so the interest rate of a loan and the cost of getting the loan, right? So this one has a 7% interest rate and only a half a point. And this other one has a 6.75% interest rate, but it also has two points that I have to pay to get the loan. And that, that tends to be what we look at the hardest. We should also probably be looking at the loan constant. The loan constant is it, it, it's expressed as a percentage and it shows the annual debt service so so my payments throughout the entire year compared to the principal amount of the loan so it's a really simple piece of math you take the monthly principal and interest payment you multiply it by 12 that gives you your annual debt service and then you divide that number by the total amount of the loan you're taking out so for simplicity's sake let's say that you've got a thousand dollar a month principal and interest payment on a $120,000 loan. That is a 10% loan constant. It's $12,000 divided by 120. That is considered to be a pretty high loan constant. But here's where here's where the loan constant thing gets... Um, th- this is why it's not instinctual to us to think about loan constants. In all likelihood, if you have $12,000 a year worth of debt service and your loan is $120,000, that's because you've had that loan for 15 years and the loan didn't start out at $120,000. The loan started out at $240,000 and you've just paid it way down. Paying your loan down doesn't change your payment, right? On a typical 30-year fixed rate loan, you pay the same payment every month, right up to month 360, even though you owe less and less. So 15 years ago, when you got this loan, you were still paying $12,000 a year, but the loan balance was 240. And that makes your loan constant 5%, right? Which would be a better loan constant than 10%. I know you've heard me say and Bill say and Pete say, the loan constant on that loan is really high. What that means is the amount of the monthly payment times 12 is high for the amount of money that you borrowed. So the question that the reason the reason I got to hear loan constant in that sneering way the first time is because I had negotiated some loan where it was maybe a $100,000 purchase price and I had agreed to pay the borrower or the the seller, okay, um, $100,000 purchase price. I agreed to pay the seller $1,000 a month for 100 months. 
That wasn't the exact numbers. I don't remember the exact numbers. And the person that I was bragging to this deal about because I had negotiated a deal that was all principal payment and that I was going to have a paid off house in 10 years. He said, well, that loan constant is way too high. I would rather have paid the seller 5% interest and spread the payments out over 20 years because my loan constant would be lower. Now, because I didn't understand what he was saying, I didn't get why he would rather pay interest and, and not pay off the house as fast. And here's the answer. This might straighten it out for you. Has A higher loan constant means lower cash flow. What he was saying is, I value having more money in my pocket every month by having a lower payment more than I value having a paid off property in 10 years or having 0% interest for that matter. So when we're looking at scenarios, if if we're going to now evaluate all of our new loans based on this, we should look at the loan constant. And I'll I'll give you a a real life um, example. I walked into a bank the other day and I said, I need to refinance a rental property. What are your options? And their options were, we'll give you a 30-year loan at 6.5% interest or we'll give you a 20-year loan at 6.1% interest. And my, you know, instinctual mind went, well, 6.1 is much better than 6.5, so I should take the the 20-year loan. But the payments on the 30-year loan at 7% interest are $997 a month, and the payments on the 20-year loan at 6.75% interest, and don't don't think I'm doing this in my head. I've got, a, I've got my computer open and a spreadsheet uh, open. And I just made some kind of horrible error because it just gave me a uh, payment that was actually much higher on the 20-year, too much higher on, nope, that's, that's the right number. My payments on the 30-year loan are... a month and my payments on the 20 year loan are 1140 a month. So they're close to $150 more for the 20 year loan. But on the other hand, I get played it off in 20 years, right? So the question is what's more important to me getting that extra $150 a month in cash flow or paying off the loan in 20 years instead of 30 years. Now, if Matt were here, He would be yelling into the microphone right now. Just because you get a 30-year loan doesn't mean you have to take 30 years to pay it off. If you get the 30-year loan and you say, you know what? I don't need that extra 150 bucks right now. I'm going to pay it toward my mortgage. You would pay it off in probably just north of 20 years. So you don't, you don't have to take all the time that you're given to pay off a loan. But then if there came a day when you were like, oh my gosh, the property's been vacant for two months, I need that extra $150 a month, you could go back to making the regular lower payment on your 30-year loan versus making that higher payment that you were choosing to make instead of being forced to make on the 20-year loan. So we all need to think about that even when we're like refinancing our own homes, because the, the emotional thing about paying stuff off early is usually about our own homes. It might be better to do the longer loan 
and add to it, then lock yourself into a shorter loan with higher payments that might become inconvenient at some point in time. Because um, you can always add more money to your payment. And if you do that uh, and pay the loan off early, your total interest cost over the course of the loan probably end up being the same or lower. So I hope that helped you out there, Hez. Um, unfortunately, we are out of time. So Valerie from Columbus, call us back next week. Uh, the show is, in fact, over at uh, just a little bit before uh, 5 o'clock Eastern time. But we will definitely be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.